From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this Wednesday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parham, Neil McCready, Clark Ford Studio this morning. couple of guests coming your way, one on the live stream, one you'll have to listen to the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, you'll get both of them. Mackenzie Salmon will join us. She works for USA Today. She's based out of New York now as a uh, studio host, really good with video and the likes. We'll talk to her about what it's like up there, what's going on with her and more and, uh, at about 8.30, which is a half hour for now as we're hitting the, uh, the record button. And then we've got more than a half hour with Royce Young. He's an NBA writer for ESPN.com believe Neil you uh, you taped it yesterday but he was uh he was in the arena when the basketball season stopped yeah he was essentially the face of the night that the story broke in, in Oklahoma City when Rudy Gobert tested positive and the Jazz were locked up in the locker room there in Chesapeake Arena we talked about that for that and the fallout of it and where the NBA might or might not go for 32 of 36 minutes for the people that are like, I don't listen to basketball. It's not much basketball. It's a, it's a human story. So that coming up on uh, on today's show is brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West and Oxford Speed Pass Plus app. The big thing I want to push to you again today, download that, use it. You can get your fuel. You can be on your way without uh, harming yourself as much as maybe uh, you would have to some other places that don't have that type of app, that type of thing to uh, get you out as quickly as possible and as safely as possible there with the Oxford Exxon. Go next door to the Oxford Crystal. Use the drive-through. Um, again, you can put your, uh, your your name in the fishbowl at each What a Combo Crystal locations across Mississippi. They will pick out a winner on April 27th at each spot, and the, that person gets a uh, free crystal for a year. Again, they're feeding a lot of first responders, a lot of people in the area, so uh, just trying to help any way that, uh, that, that people can. So again, Oxford Exxon, Oxford Crystal, and coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio. We are Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the uh, bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is up to you. You can shop it around, or you can do what I've done, and that's uh, hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service after the sale. You'll uh, you'll absolutely love the product. Corey and the people there take great care of you, and um, Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove it to you. 662-257-1900. Okay. Um, Oh, and I should say rafters, music, and food. Uh, (laughs) They sponsor our hotline, uh, McKenzie Salmon. Um, Royce Young join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. We'll have some Rafters news for you, I think, here in the next week or so. I'll get back to you. But when they when we get back to normal at some point, whenever that is, um, Rafters is right there on the square. It'd be a great place to uh, get back together, reacquaint with some of your friends and stuff that you didn't see during quarantine, home of the uh, Bluegrass Brunch, uh, great uh, Cajun burgers and more there at Rafters Music and Food on the square in Oxford. Bell back coming today? Yeah, it's basically done. Okay. <clears throat> Questions not pertaining to coronavirus today? We got a lot of stuff. Uh, what, 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 what we got? Yeah. Yeah, they weren't all coronavirus. There were a few co- coronavirus, but, but not many. Talked to Kermit Davis yesterday. There's a story up on the site. A lot of basketball stuff there. Um, Devontae Shuler, no surprise, is staying. I, mm-hmm. I think everyone figured he would, especially given the fact that 
there's really no NBA waters for anyone to test, Demonte or otherwise. If you're wanting to test the, the, the waters and then come back, there's there's no place to go. There isn't. There's not going to be a a summer league, almost certainly. And uh, you know, there's not going to be Portsmouth. There's not going to be. I hadn't even thought about that part of this. Not going to yeah. be NBA camps. There's not going to be workouts. Uh, it's it's a tough deal for Brian Tyree and guys like Brian who have a pretty good body of work on film, but need to show some things to NBA people. They're they're not going to be able to do that. Um, yeah, just kind of there's there's a lot there. Pretty talked to Kermit for about I don't know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen minutes, and. Um, been blessed on the basketball beat with uh, two guys in a row who, when you transcribe the 15-minute conversation, just about every word is usable. That's uh, that's not always the case with coaches. That has been the case with, with now Andy and, and, and now Kermit. So that's pretty good. I, I went on the phone with him long, and I thought, well, I hope I had enough. It turns out I, I, I could have turned that into four stories. How'd y'all do it? Just by phone. Just by phone? Yeah. We didn't get Zoom out and do the video thing? Uh, I started to, but I didn't. You know, I, I just wanted to get the information more than anything. And so he was, it was fine. I didn't want to complicate it. You know, he, I had, he, I think he had a limited amount of time and I wanted to make the most of it. Yeah. Um, I wrote about life a little this morning. Um, something I've been contemplating. I mentioned on the podcast a couple weeks ago that April's a pretty tough month for me. Um, as, as many of you went through it with me five years ago, it's when my son passed away at two weeks. Um, kind of came out of nowhere. was a was a 48 hours that I have tons of memories and no memories at the same time. It might make sense. And um, I kind of built it around the fact that when we got Carly in a year later, um, the first time I really had any kind of alone time with her was in really early in the morning, about a week after she she came home and watching the Augusta the, the final of Augusta National or the drop ship and putt is at Augusta and just kind of sat there and thought about a lot and it hit me really hard last week when that event didn't happen everybody's talking about the Masters but for me it was more the drop ship and putt it kind of something been a bit of a tradition that I tried to to make that every year something where I spent time with her talked to her about things because and, and Neil knows this he's 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 heard me talk about this with him over the years I compartmentalized a lot from that time period. I um I didn't deal with it. I didn't even realize I wasn't dealing with it. To be honest, if you'd asked me, I said no. I'm pretty healthy. I'm 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 okay. I just maybe didn't go through it the same way other people did. And then for a couple of different reasons that were that were not that, I started seeing a therapist in December and quickly realized that. I had about a year there that I had never dealt with at all um, from 2015 into 2016. I had a, I had about a one calendar year period where everything happened with Clark, um, went straight, or not straight, but pretty close into the adoption process with Carly Ann. My father passed away that September right after that. I had a brutal probate situation after he he, he passed away. And it was, it, was, it was a calendar year of hell, frankly. And um, I think in some ways I did not necessarily deal with that until some recent months. Um, so I don't know. I tried to get all that out a little little bit tried to talk about it in a way that um can give some people some hope um i think that you know we, we, we try to be really honest on this podcast about mental health about grief about how nobody handles it the same way and every way is okay I, I think that's the thing to take from this and uh if you if you if you think you need to see somebody you need to see somebody um that, that that's the answer to this um even right now during quarantine a lot of places are doing telemedicine telehealth sessions from a from a from a therapy situation so 
just talk to people. This is a tough time for everybody. We're all dealing with it in the same and, and, and different ways. So uh, try to write some of that out this morning. So that's on the site at rebelgrove.com as we, uh, as we carry on. So, um, anyway, I'm actually, in, I, I hit publish this morning. I was kind of shaking for a minute and I went, okay, calm down. And now I'm fine. But it was just, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting how the process goes. Sometimes it, it's really, really easy and it feels very, very therapeutic. And then sometimes you're almost dreading it as you're doing it. And you kind of just kind of push it out a little bit. So, uh, no good segue out of that. I did see where, uh, Mike Leach is getting to do uh, cultural, um, um, understanding uh listening sessions here in the next week or so with uh, or maybe he's not doing them the next week or so but they have scheduled these for uh, the mississippi state head coach tour some museums when they're safe to tour also is that what we're doing he's doing that oh i didn't know that one yeah. i've got the quote here uh from cohen it says no matter the context for many americans the image of a noose is never appropriate and that's particularly true in the south and mississippi um disappointed such an image in a tweet from coach leach he will participate in quote listening sessions with students alumni and community groups that will take guided visits to the museum of mississippi history and mississippi civil rights museum once it is allowed quote the university is confident that coach leach is moving quickly and sincerely past this unintended misstep and provide the leadership of our student athletes and excitement for our football program and fans deserve pullman washington has never looked better be proud of sport pullman washington has never looked better he's had a look I'm not going to pretend to, to 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 know how people react to nooses. I'm just not. I'm I'm lucky. I don't have to deal with that. Um, but we but we know what that tweet. Was. I understand that. Yeah, but I, right. I'm not going to play that game. I'm I'm not going to try to I'm put myself either. in another. In I would have told. I would have told John Cohen I quit yesterday. I'm not surprised he has to do it. I guess my point, especially what's players had a problem with it. That's where I do go. Okay, you did have to deal with that once players had an issue. Because frankly, he's not a very trustworthy coach to his players right now. Between this there. and he's not here yeah. and the quarantine and everything, this has gotten off to a really strange start. I'm going to say this. It's not going to be popular. For both Kiffin and Leach, they're going to have to at some point kind of get more engaged in their communities if it's going to work, unless they win huge. If you win huge, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah, of course. Nick but, Saban can stay out on Lake Martin all he wants to. Or wherever yeah, he's at. but unless you win huge – there's going to come a point where you're going to have to engage more in your local area, market, state than either of them have. And I'm not criticizing where they are in the quarantine because what damn difference does it make? I mean, you, you could be on Pluto right now. If you've got an internet connection, you're, you're doing whatever. But you got to – that's part of Leach's problem is that he took that job and spent the majority of his time in Key West. And so he's not accountable to the players. Mm -hmm. And now when they communicate with him, he's clearly at his place in Key West. And I think for some of those guys, they look at that and go, what's your deal? I will defend him again on the tweet. There comes a point with the whole racism thing where everyone's labeled a racist, where you do have to put the thing in context and look at it and say, what was he talking about? He was very clearly, very clearly making a joke about marriages in quarantine. Mm -hmm. Very clearly. And when that's the case, you have to give the man the benefit of the doubt. And embarrassing him like this with, hey, we're going to make you do some listening sessions we want to make sure that people who were hurt get to express their opinions to you, okay? Is demeaning. Over under three years. Under. 
under? How'd you feel like a fit? How, what kind of fit did you feel like this was four months ago compared to now? Not great. I felt like it was, hey, why not? Mm-hmm. They had made, they made the institutional, they did much like Ole Miss did with, with Matt Luke. When you make a decision institutionally that you're moving on and then you backtrack on that decision based on the results of one game, that's a mistake. And Mississippi State was firing, uh, uh, what was his name? <laughs> Joe Moorhead. The world has changed so much. Yeah. Mississippi State was firing Joe Moorhead. And then they won that game. Mm-hmm. The odd thing is they were favored to win the game. Regardless, they, they, they got emotional about beating Ole Miss. In much the same way that two years ago, Ole Miss was, hot, whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, that's for somebody else to determine. Y'all, y'all have that argument amongst yourselves. It's too late now. Ole Miss was hiring Dave Doran. And then they beat Mississippi State in a game that I don't think anybody over there outside of the, the, the actual building thought they were going to win. And there was this emotional groundswell, and a decision was made to keep Matt Luke. And this is not against Matt. This is not against Joe. It's not against the people. But when the decision's made, stick with the decision. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And so then you come out of it, and I think they thought, for whatever reason, they could get Billy Napier. And Billy Napier didn't want it. Didn't want anything. For whatever reason, and and – Hey, look, I don't get it, but Billy Napier said, I'm going to bet on myself another year at Louisiana Lafayette. And to his credit, he made that decision and stuck to it. But I don't think Mississippi State read the market well, and then they were forced to kind of make a hire, and Mike Leach has wanted an SEC job, and Mississippi State is an SEC job. And I think Mike Leach essentially took the thing sight unseen, and he didn't have a good pulse for what that place is. And it's not a great fit. Now, it might end up working. He's a good coach. Mm -hmm. Everywhere he goes, they score a ton of points, and they give up a ton of points, and they play an entertaining brand of football that I don't really think fits that fan base, but people change. But this is is silly. It reminds me of the day that Pete Boone cut out Houston Nuts legs from underneath him. And I'm not saying that Pete Boone didn't shouldn't have, but what Pete Boone should have done that day is, hey, this is done. Here's the rest of your money. Let's buy you out. Let's 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 promote Mike Markison or someone to coach the rest of this clearly lost season, and let's move on. When you leave it in some degree of limbo, and that's what they've done now. Mike Leach hasn't coached a game yet. Might not get to coach a game till I don't know the middle of the fall, mm-hmm. maybe even the spring. Is going to have to throw a recruiting class together rapidly one way or the other and you've got him you've got him hung out to dry and I, I get it would have taken a lot of nerve to say on on Cohen's part to say you know I get I get some of the angst but that's clearly not what he meant we're moving on yeah it's just a player thing I can't get past when your player has a problem you got to be pro player first even even above your coach the players are the program yeah because there's eight, there's 85, there's 105 of them. And Cohen, again, you do that, and immediately it's well, you don't understand how what your my context is of this. It's not your context. Or you could and have had you could have had a meeting that you kept kind of private. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Now it would have yeah, leaked yeah, yeah. out a little bit, but 
But you didn't have to make a public statement that makes it headline news. Oh, look, a guy that potentially is going to have a hard time recruiting anyway suddenly has another recruiting issue. Just does. I mean, you know, other coaches, players, I mean, it is what it is. He's done. He's done. That's why when you asked over under three years, you might could go over under two years, and I'd go under. Right now, in fact, if I think about it and you say over under one year, I strongly consider the under. He's done. I don't believe that once your administration cuts your knees out that there's any getting back. Mm -hmm. This is going to hang over him every place he goes to recruit. Yeah. Outside of JUCOs where those kids are like, hey, it's an opportunity to play. I really don't care who I'm playing for. I don't really care where I'm playing. Can you get me to the league? Outside of that, every kid's going to look at it. He's going to have to overcome that unless he's recruiting Joe Two-Star, who that's his only offer. Where it's down to, hey, do I go to Louisiana Monroe or do I go to Mississippi State? He's going to go to State. Mm-hmm. But are you going to win recruiting battles against other SEC teams with that hanging over you? I don't think so. Yeah, it's a big flashing thing now. It just is. Yeah, so, oh, it's I mean, just I, hanging over him. Oh, the best thing in the world, I mean, frankly, the best thing in the world for them right now is you can't recruit anyway. Everything's on hold. Yeah. Short attention spans, all that stuff, instant gratification. I mean, it, it, you know, there's time, but. Oh, for yeah. sure. No doubt. The negative for him is that all these kids who normally wouldn't see it, well, now everybody's on their phones, everybody's on their computers, everybody sees it. Yeah. And now you've made it a story. Yeah. You've made it a talking point. Where, you know, I mean, yesterday, if you're like Paul Feinbaum, for example, you know, I'm sure Paul's thinking, how do I feel four hours? Oh, Mike Leach and Mike Gundy. Good. <laughs> By the way, Gundy, man, you talk about tone deaf. You can't say that out loud, even if you think it. He was the – it was a great psychology yesterday of normal person versus, as you mentioned yesterday, that 2% Twitter crowd that is such the loud minority because Kyle Porter, who's a golf writer for CBS, he's, he's an Oklahoma State grad, I think. He does a he does a blog called Pistols Firing. He writes about Oklahoma State a pretty good bit, too. And I, But I follow him for golf, and I saw where he had written a pretty scathing column about Gundy yesterday. And the, the amount of just, I don't care, he's my football coach. Yeah. And that was it. There was no context to quotes. It was it was lots of well. If you listen to the hour and a half interview, there might have been this. It helped. It's like no, like the quote is the quote is the quote is the quote. People are asking what did Gundy say? I'm gonna find the quote. It it, it was just a ridiculous ridiculous quote. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. Here I've got it. I've got it right here. Um. This Mike goes- Gundy said, I know medical professionals have to keep the danger out there so people will stay home, but I just haven't been real happy. This is Oh, this is one of the other quotes. Yeah, that's just, not even the one I had. But I just haven't been real happy with the mainstream media and with the way they've handled that. I tell you what, I found OAN. It's One America News. It was so refreshing. They just report the news. There's no commentary, no opinions. There's no left. There's no right. They're giving us the news, some of the positives, so that was refreshing. That's not the quote that got people so this is the up. one this goes back to the ncaa the presidents of the universities the conference commissioners the athletic directors they all need to be meeting right now and we need to start coming up with answers in my opinion if we have to bring our players back test them they're in good shape they're all 18 19 20 21 22 years old and healthy a lot of them can fight it off with their natural body and their antibodies and built up that they have 
uh, those those that are asymptomatic. If that's true, then we sequester them. And people say that's crazy. No, it's not crazy because, quote, we need to continue to budget and run money through the state of Oklahoma. So run the kids out there and try to keep the, 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 the money flowing into the Oklahoma state coffers at the moment. But there, 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 are, two, there are two people that are out, the two hypothetical general people. They're the people that look at that and go, they, they won't give it any context at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm not defending Gundy in any shape, form, or fashion. That's an idiotic thing to say. And then they're the people that, I just want my sports. I don't care how I get them. He could have made his point was, it, 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 in, in some so much more better ways to do it. He, he picked the worst words to use for not a good point, but at least a point that a lot of people have is, hey, we've got to balance everything in one spot. You can say that without going, hey, let's just make the kids guinea pigs for the economy. Which I mean, is exactly what he said. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're young. They can handle it. Yeah. What about all the people around them? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's – it's. I said this on the message board this morning. I'm going to continue to say it because I think it's become my, my, my true opinion over, over the course of time. I'm all for sports returning. I want sports to return. Our, our society wants sports to return. But until sports can return in some semblance of normalcy, I didn't say exactly like they were before, but in some semblance of normalcy, we're not ready for sports. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. We might get there a lot sooner than some of the crazy, crazy media type people say that we're going to get there. As my friend Brett Taylor, who uh, covers the Cubs for the Athletic and for Bleacher Nation, as he wrote, you know, the plan that was released yesterday or talked about yesterday by Major League Baseball is dumb. Today, mm-hmm. a month from now, when they actually started implementing some plan, there might things might have changed a lot. Right today, it's egregious, it's ridiculous. But who knows what tomorrow? But six yeah. weeks from now, it might look different to be able to do something different. Yeah. But you know when he, but the whole hey look, let's pick up a couple minutes. I was talking to Roy Schoen. You'll hear it on this podcast a little later in the show. The Utah Jazz traveling party to Oklahoma City was 58 people. Okay? Yeah, sure. Players, medical people, uh, nutritionists. Yeah, whatever. All that stuff. Broadcasters, PR, 58 people. So let's pick a major league team, any team. The Twins. Okay, the Minnesota Twins. It's a 26-man roster. If you're going to do the Arizona thing, you're going to have to have probably another 14 players available. So 40 players. The uh, the traveling party is probably going to be 100 people. 30 teams at 100 is 3,000. Yeah. You're quarantining 3,000 people for five months in Arizona to play games with no fans. Mm-hmm. That's dumb. If you look at that and go, oh, it's a great idea. It's not. You're still losing money hand over fist. And it's dumb. When people say, well, they're millionaires. You're just saying, hey, I want my sports. You're not even being rational at that point. I mean, period. You just want your sports. They're, they're not robots. They're humans. And if we're at a place, this is where my point is, if we're at a place in July that we can so readily test people for antibodies and the virus, 
then we might be at a place where we could play the games in Minneapolis. Which is the whole We might be able to let people into the games and have some semblance of normalcy. Is if we can readily test 3,000 people every single day, boom, 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 which is basically what it would require today, then we might be able to test people as they come to the gate. I think about that. Might be able to test for antibodies and stuff when they come to the gate. They just That's why the whole let's making talking about it today with some degree of finality is stupid in much the same way that talking about it today with these plans of what you're going to do, sitting the players out in the in, in 115 degree heat, six feet apart from one another. That that's not that doesn't even that, that's not even doable. So I was talking to someone yesterday who was talking about football and we had this exact conversation. The thought today on April the 8th of playing a football season today is ludicrous. We're not ready for that. On July the 8th, it could be and probably will be a completely different conversation. On April the 8th, it's senseless. You, The idea of a football game where everyone is sweating and on top of one another and there's physical contact on literally every single play today is, is insane. Three months from now, when... When there's antibody testing that's probably rapidly available, when our uh, the testing ability is probably rapidly available, mm-hmm. if we get to that place, well, then it's a completely different conversation at that point. Now the conversation shifts to how long do we need to give these players to safely get ready to have a season so that we're not having a, a, a bunch of heat strokes and stuff with players. Yeah. We'll go to McKenzie Salmon in one second. Before we'll tell you about Community Mortgage, Oxford, Memphis, Settle County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis. They're getting local underwriting. It understands your market, a leader in condo financing, and the float down option. You can find Jason at 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. We are also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. Brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It's at 320 East Pearl Street in Jackson. The Iron Horse Grill also specializes in in, in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. If you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment, the Iron Horse Grill is your answer. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250- to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black, 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Don't just accept what you see, but imagine something new. Step forward and chase after a better version of yourself every day. Corinth Dental is helping people reinvent themselves one smile at a time. Dr. Bubba McQueen, Dr. Jenny Beth Hendrick are devoted to restoring and enhancing the natural beauty of your smile using conservative state-of-the-art procedures, including Invisalign. These clear aligners are the virtually invisible way to improve your smile. So call Corinth Dental today for a no-cost digital scan of your teeth and let them show you the way to a straighter, healthier smile. 12 months, no interest, 
No down payment financing available at CorinthDental.com. Podcast is brought to you by Visit Oxford. Visit OxfordMS.com's website. Go to the top. They have a link to see how to uh, support Oxford during COVID-19, including uh, your delivery and curbside options, the ways uh, you can still eat out about town, um, get takeout and the like there. And uh, also, you can see how to potentially help hospitality employees. They've got tip roulette where you can uh, just tip someone in the service industry. The, the system picks uh, picks someone that is out of a job right now. So again, visit OxfordMS.com for more if you're live in our live stream. Hang out one second. We'll be right back with Mackenzie Salmon. Mackenzie Salmon, kind enough to uh, join us here on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. Mackenzie, how are you? I'm good. Thankfully, I uh, got out of New York decently early enough, back home in Indiana now. So riding out the corona with the family. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I know that you'd gotten up to New York, and I, I assume you were kind of just sort of starting to get settled when this whole thing broke. What, what was uh, What was that like? Yeah, it was uh, probably not the most ideal time to move <laughs> to New York. I uh, only got, I think it was two or three days in the studio, being able to do studio work before um, the, the city kind of really shut down and our building, no one was allowed in it. So we weren't obviously allowed to do interviews in there. So maybe three days in the office and then I <laughs> started quarantining in my apartment, doing some Skype interviews that way. And then um, once, I think it was when the death toll started to like rapidly rapidly rise i was like i'm just gonna get out of here because i i don't want the worst case scenario to happen where i'm actually locked inside my apartment can't get groceries because i'm definitely a worried person in that way so i uh booked a a a one-way flight back home to indiana so i could you know quarantine in indiana where it's where i can actually walk outside a little bit more (laughs) when was that what was the uh, what was the flight like was it empty full what oh my god there surprisingly there it wasn't completely empty but um i did see a lady with a gas mask on i saw a um <laughs> a few bandanas that's <laughs> the joke where everybody goes Larry tunsil was ahead of his time <laughs> <laughs> i was like wow i never saw that one before but uh it wasn't too bad they thankfully um delta would wipe down the uh the seats and everything before we got on so i felt a little bit better about that but it, it was it was honestly just a crap shoe. We one, a bunch of the terminals were closed in Newark, New Jersey, so we had to take a shuttle bus to TSA, then take another shuttle bus back to our gate C. It was it was crazy, but praise the Lord, I'm home. <laughs> are you are you able to work from from Indiana? Or are you basically just riding it out? Yeah, thankfully, honestly, I'll be honest. I've been busier than I was when I was actually in new york because they've i think they've overcompensated i guess on some of these skype calls so i've been having maybe two or three a day where it's um we're talking to you know athletes that are getting ready for the draft or we're talking to um like i just got off with benjamin watson not too long ago uh, a few days ago and just talking to a bunch of different guys talking about their experience with corona or how it's uh how they're linked to it um you know guys talking about the league what's been going on overseas so thankfully i've been keeping pretty busy but uh obviously not the most ideal situation working from home every day (laughs) so it's obviously the big thing that we all talk about i tell people that if you work in sports media it's the conversation that when you talk to other sports media it's really the only thing we really talk about is like when do you think things are going to come back and you're there I i know you're in indiana but you're based out of new york which is the epicenter of this thing and it's also where the yeah. it's you know it's also where the major league baseball offices are the nba the nfl 
All these offices are in New York. These decisions are going to be made uh, at least through New York, and New York's the epicenter of the virus yeah. right now. What when you talk to people in, in the whether it's you know whether it's uh, executives or whether it's players or whatnot, do you get a sense of sort of when people are at least expecting to to get back to something that resembles normal? That's a that's a great question. I a lot of people I think, and you've you've heard this too, are very optimistic. Um, I think Trump the other day, you know, was like, "Oh, everything's you know the NFL's supposed to start on time." Which I've talked to quite a few players and reps, and obviously they're not doing any training right now, and they're not planning on doing any till like late June, early July, which is the first time they're going to even be able to play with their real teams, as far as like guys have been traded and whatnot. So. I I don't know. That's tough because I saw the other day that the death rate in New York has started to decline, which yeah. could be a good thing. But, you know, with China, the second wave, I, I really don't know. Obviously, I'm not, a, not <laughs> I guess, able to talk about that. But, um, I mean, the death toll has dropped in New York, so I guess that's a good sign. But I really don't see things getting back to normal till around you know, the summertime when the when the virus can start dying off, just because there are so many people in New York crowded together. Um, gosh, I don't know. I would say around June or July. I'm very optimistic that I can get back there earlier, um, but I think it'll be more of like a necessity type of a thing. When you, I don't know if you even had a chance to read much about it. When you saw like the Major League Baseball proposal about basically quarantining all the players in Arizona, play, putting all 30 teams yeah. out there. What was your reaction to it? I know I, I had a, a very specific <laughs> reaction, and a lot of people have kind of pushed back on Not a lot, but some people have pushed back. But when you see that, you're, you've been around sports enough to know what all's involved with the professional team, with the college team. Yeah. It's more than just the players. There's yeah. a lot more there. When you saw that, just what was kind of your thoughts? Yeah. I laughed because I was like, oh, that's going to go well. Just because I think of, you know, the wives and the girlfriends that would come along. And I, in my mind, I'm like, that would be great reality TV. <laughs> it would be that. These guys. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you know, wives of, or famous, or wives of girlfriends of sports, you know, that TV show on E. I'm like, that, that was my first thought. But, I mean, sports, it's sports to be better than nothing. But I, I just laughed. That was my first thought. Because I know, I think it was, was it you, a USC guy said he's going to buy an island yep. and have all the international fighters fight on an island? Wasn't that a yeah. few days ago? Did you guys see that? Yeah, well, we've talked about yeah. it. If it's, if it's been proposed, we've talked about it here on this uh, Dog and Pony podcast. Here's what I thought about yesterday, yeah. and you can relate to this because <laughs> you, you, you do a lot of reporting. I was thinking, I don't know what, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about this, which is weird, uh, but they said, we were talking about, you know, what games with no fans would look like. And I was thinking about Casey Mize, the former Auburn pitcher who's in the Detroit Tigers mm-hmm. system, who's probably approaching his major league debut. He's, he's going to be the, the ace yeah. of the Tigers staff for a long time in all likelihood. And I was thinking about, you know, how long Casey Mize and his family have, have played Little League and then travel ball and then high school ball and he played at Auburn and all that stuff and now he's in the minor leagues and he's working his way up and and that moment for every big leaguer when it happens when you know they they make their debut you see you see mom and dad in the stands and sisters and brothers and friends and girlfriends or wives or whatnot and everybody's emotional and whether it's excited or crying or both and and the, the reporter goes and interviews them during the game and that's a lot of what we love sports about 
in reality. Yeah. I and mean, that's what we really like about sports, if we're all honest. And when you have games with no fans, you take all of that away. And I don't think people have really given a lot of thought to what the product actually looks like on television when there's no way to give any context to the stories of these people's lives. Yeah. And especially, I, I think the game that comes to my mind was, I think it was in 2015 when the Orioles and the White Sox, it was, I think it was like the first game that was played with, without fans in attendance. And yeah. that was so weird to watch. Like it felt dead because especially for baseball, when it's, you know, basketball, you can take it into a smaller court or high school court or something like that to make it more intimate, I guess. But especially for baseball, like you mentioned, like, it's just so weird. And to think that, you know, even with media, media probably wouldn't even have access if there are no fans, which is even crazier to talk about. Like you said, like having no backstory, no fans there. It's I don't even know if I'd want to play. <laughs> It'd be very weird. It'd be very weird. Yeah, a lot of players came out yesterday and said, I'd have to really think about it. I mean, some said, whatever, I'll play anywhere, anytime. Yeah. But there were some that said, I'd have to think yeah. about it. You know, and then you, you get guys that, because like you said, a lot of these guys are young guys. They're, they're young guys with, yeah. uh, you know, young families, um, young kids, uh, stuff like that. There's just a lot. They're, they're not robots. They're, they're and, and you, yeah. have, you have. It's a mental, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, you ask, you ask them, because Major League Baseball kind of relented a little. Like, yeah, well, we, we would allow wives. Okay, so do you allow yeah. do you allow girlfriends? <laughs> do you allow do you allow a lot of these guys have their own yeah. nutritionist? A lot of these guys have their own strength people, especially the you know, what what mm-hmm. do you what do you do with them? I mean, how where, where does it stop? And so it gets and you mentioned media. If if you're going to have media at the games, you've got to quarantine the media. How who how does all of that work? There's just so many questions. That's why I keep going back to until <laughs> until we can have some sports that resemble I know it's going to be different, but where sports resemble what sports were, maybe we're just not ready for sports. I know, and that's a, I feel like a tough pill to swallow, especially you guys know that being our, you know, that's our live, our, it's literally our careers, which is hard to think about having to continue doing what we're doing for another, you know, until the, the rest of the year. But I, I agree. I mean, how are you supposed to let media go in if everyone has to get tested? And especially with the NFL, I mean, until they start, like, everyone's going to have to get tested because it's so – every play is a contact play, no matter what. And I don't even see football starting when it's supposed to, but that's me being a little pessimistic. <laughs> but, I mean, baseball is definitely one of those sports I could see starting before the others in a sense, um, just because I guess it's less con- – there's less contact but i i don't know i really don't know especially with the olympics getting postponed till next year like <laughs> i think it's a lot worse than people thought but it i know it gets worse before it gets better so you're you're pessimistic about the college football and the nfl season at this point kind of yeah yep <laughs> just because we're working on right now we've been working on a lot of pre-draft stuff which is going to be weird doing a virtual draft i don't even know how they're going to go about doing that but I mean, I just don't see like the I don't see the NBA coming back. I've been reading and hearing a lot about none of the talks with the owners and the players or the you know the managers have been about the season coming back. So I I don't see the you know that season coming back. Baseball, I don't know how they're gonna fit you know a hundred some games by the end of the year. They're probably gonna be playing till spring next year um, if they if they started their season now the regular season now, but. 
yeah, I'm I'm kind of pessimistic. I wish sports would come back earlier, but like you said, there's just so many moving parts for everything to be safe for people to come back and and do what they did. How are y'all preparing for covering the NFL draft? So we have been doing a lot of uh, I've been doing a lot of pre-filming. So um, like pretending, okay, if Joe Burrow goes here, if Tua goes here. Um, just doing a lot of what if videos. I think I've done probably like 50 some now. Um, just simple, you know, like intro clips, and then we're we're gonna do some reporter stuff too. But we've been working on a lot of profiles right now, and um, like I mentioned, doing the Skype calls with former players or current players that are on the team, and maybe like if if Tua goes here or if Chase Young goes here, what would that do to the team? And then um, we've been working on the Michael Jordan or the uh, the Bulls doc that's coming out, so we're doing some stuff with that. Which has been nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking. The, that Bulls doc is going to get massive ratings because it's going to be something new. Everybody, everybody's through with with um, Tiger King. Got to move to something. <laughs> Jordan, did you guys watch Tiger King? Oh my god, I loved it. <laughs> I'm five. I'm five episodes in. I haven't finished it. Um, it made me feel far you more think normal. Carol did it. Oh yeah, yeah. She absolutely. Don't you think she did She's it? Crazy. She's. She's crazy. Yeah, I think she did it. She's, she's like, oh, if you actually want to kill someone, you got to rub them in fish oil or something. I'm like, who knows that? <laughs> yeah, sardine oil. Sardine oil. Yeah. yeah. You, okay, yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> what else have you watched? Uh, I love that show, though. What else have you binged? I, You've been um, pretty busy, so you might not have had a lot of time to binge, but what have you binged? Yeah. Um, I've, I finished the newest season of Ozark, which was crazy. I love Ozark. That's a, It's a great show. Um, pretty much just Ozark and Tiger King has been what I've watched. I, I watched a few movies here and there, but I haven't been able to binge like I want. Unfortunately, our, um, I know, I'm sure you guys have heard of it, but Gannett, um, we have to do furloughs, which means we take a week off once a month up until July. So it's the second quarter. Um, so next week is my furlough where I'm off all week. So I'm definitely going to binge. If you guys have any recommendations, please send them my way. <laughs> Cause I'm going to have to fill up my time next week. Yeah. You've been, you, you've been busy, but what's it like being home and then I'm being quarantined for a while after being on your own. I got to think it's a little, a uh, little, little, little different all of a sudden. Yeah, it's definitely different. Thankfully my parents, um, still have my room upstairs <laughs> back when I was in college and high school. So I've taken over my old room. I've set up this kind of ratchet setup of like what a studio would be up here, but, um, it's not, it's honestly not too bad. I get along well with my family, but, um, definitely need some personal space. Sometimes my brother gets bored and he wants to come talk sports with me. So <laughs> that's a little different. <laughs> what do you, what do you do? Uh, I don't know if you're like me. I'm having gym withdrawals, not, not just, it's oh my God. like, yes. the, you know, like you, you don't even think about it. At least I didn't, you know, that just that hour in the gym where you, you have your ear pods on and you're just kind of doing your routine. And it's not even about, it's not even about like, you know, getting fit or all that. It, it is about that. But what I've realized yeah. is how much that was kind of a therapy time and just a little bit of a, that was my time. I was locked into what I was doing. I would do, you know, three oh sets God, of this yeah. and then three sets of this. And I had this workout that when I finished it, my body knew, okay, we're done. And now we're going to go, we're going to go on with our day. And I don't have that anymore. And I, yeah. I, I've missed that just regularity. <laughs> Me too. I, I swear I've been saying that for like the past two weeks, like, especially when I was up in New York, like I had my studio apartment, which wasn't super small. Like it was a decent sized apartment, but we had a rooftop and I would have to go up there 
and do sprints up there for like 10 minutes to even get to a mile. And like, like you mentioned, just having that routine. And it was more of a mental thing for me, like going to the gym, therapy set, just listen to music for an hour, lift, do whatever cardio I needed to. And, and I was good And not having that now is completely <laughs> thrown off my routine. So I wake up and I'm like, do I actually want to get on the treadmill? No. Do I want to go run outside? Yeah, I might do that. But like, not having a, a bench or even a squat rack has been is crazy. I only have about I only have a fifteen pound weight, so I've been having to get creative with that <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I told Neil this I guess about a month ago. There was a story came out with our a marathoner in Italy. He ran a marathon on his balcony. He had to turn around every twenty three feet or wow. whatever it was, and it took him. He, he normally ran like a three hour marathon or something. It took over six hours where he's just constantly turning and turning and turning and turning and did it on a balcony. You could not pay me to do that. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah, that, hours? that's insane. That's it's crazy. Jeez, You're just jogging, say, turning for six hours. hours. Just, but there are some places where you can't get out. No. Like you can't get out and go for a run. They'll they'll no. they'll stop you. Yeah, especially in New York. Like if you can't, people were only on the streets if they were getting groceries, and even at that, there were like maybe one or two people. And the the delivery system in New York was so messed up. Like. People weren't getting half of what they were ordering. It's delayed by like two weeks. It's honestly, it's it's not the best up there. So I, <laughs> I definitely feel lucky here where I can go run around my neighborhood. But I want to ask you guys, how was Mississippi holding up? I know they didn't get any cases till pretty late, but I saw Madison County had quite a few. There are a couple spots that are a little worse than others. Oxford has done a pretty good job. Now you got to realize there's no students here, though. You know, so it's it's a deal where all the students went home several you know, yeah. w- okay, you know weeks yeah. ago. So it's whatever. But yeah, there's a couple spots that people are starting to worry about a little bit as it as it goes. But overall, the percentage has uh, has been pretty good the last week or so. It was I, I think yesterday the the increase was only like ten percent or something. So that wasn't terrible. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, okay, re- re- relative to like other my places. Mississippi people were testing it. Yeah, what? You were here. Yeah. You were here long enough to acclimate, food-wise and stuff. What are you missing? Because I'm assuming uh, Indiana and New York aren't necessarily Southern cuisine <laughs> hotspots. Yeah, I I tell everyone I've been missing the fried chicken. Okay. <laughs> so much, like just the gas station fried chicken or chicken on a stick. Like I really, really do miss that a lot because in New York, like they've got it, but that's just not really the food I, I went for when I was up there. Um, I definitely got a lot of Italian. Um, I got some Indian cuisine when I was up there, which was really good. But, oh, my God, you guys, the fried chicken, the cornbread, and then the uh, like the banana pudding bread thing. I always forget what it's called, but the um, Mama Hamels and Jackson had it. <laughs> and that I miss that so much. If you guys ship that up here, I'd love it forever. <laughs> So uh, on the, I'm curious on the draft. You mentioned Tua a couple of times, which tells me that you've you've done some Tua work. What are what are you hearing about where Tua goes? I have. I mean, gosh, I never would have thought Tom Brady would go to the Bucks. So, geez, I don't. Tua, I see him going to the Dolphins, but um, you know, we've obviously been having. Uh, we did stuff with him going to possibly the Bengals if they trade up or do whatever they they end up doing but I mean I see him going to the Dolphins I think it'd just be a really good fit for him and they need someone like Tua <laughs> to really help that franchise out because they haven't had a franchise in Lord knows how how long but yeah it's been um, a while I don't know I think Tua would be a good fit for the Dolphins 
Yeah, when I went for the Super Bowl, I talked to Dan Marino, and he was definitely on the Tua bus for sure. <laughs> I don't know how much uh, influence he has on on the Dolphins in general right now, but he was definitely on the Tua boat for sure. Yeah, if you had offered them, if you had told the Dolphins a year ago that they would walk out of the draft with Tua Tungavaloa, they would have absolutely jumped Stop. at it. And now that it, all the hip stuff is checked out well, I'd have to think they're back on that completely. Yeah. And, like, this year's draft, there are just so many good options. But, like, even if they if they do land with Tua, it's great no matter what. So, I mean, I I think they if they play their cards, like, just stick with Tua. <laughs> well, listen, we really appreciate the time so much. Uh, stay safe up there in Indiana, and hopefully you can get back to, uh, to New York, and we're all back to covering sports here uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, thank you, you guys. I appreciate you. Hope you guys stay safe down there, too. Talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye, McKenzie. It's McKenzie Salmon, USA Today. Again, uh, in Indiana currently, but trying to get back to New York when uh, when she can. So appreciate her joining us here on the show, a show that is uh, – also brought to you by Tyson Drugs and G&M Pharmacy. G&M right there on South Lamar and Oxford, but the bigger deal right now, they deliver locally in the Oxford area, so uh, you can use them to get the uh, the medications you need without getting out. They also offer MedSync to take care of you on the same day every single month to uh, minimize those trips. 662-236-2222 is the phone number. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with the Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild is a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild is one foot thick. They're all 100% American-made. And we're going to throw in a podcast discount that makes the pricing that much better. Also with Nest and Wild, you fight cancer in your sleep. They've partnered with former Major League pitcher Jason Mott and his foundation in the fight against cancer. Nest and Wild donates a portion of every mattress sold Back to Jason's charity. It's also a no-risk decision. Nest and Wild believes in their product so much, they're offering a 99-night trial on every mattress. So try it out. Sleep on it for 99 nights. And if you don't like it, you can return it. It's nestandwild.com. Make sure you enter the uh, podcast code REBEL20 at checkout. That's REBEL20 and get 20% off your purchase. Your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. We're also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, we released a Mind on My Money podcast yesterday afternoon. It's brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Uh, they represent um, clients in more than 20 states. They have advisors in multiple states. They're also home to the Pinnacle Trust 401k advisory services team. You can get in touch with them, and they'll conduct a complimentary, no-obligation benchmarking and analysis of your current 401k plan. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the Oxford Exxon podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. And we're brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Um, at some point, this is going to end. At some point, we're all going to want to get out, go on a vacation, get away from home, get away from the towns where we've been quarantined for months at a time. And uh, John Edwards can help you do that. He can also help you do that in a way that will create a lifetime of unique memories. All you do is you get in touch with him, you give him some parameters, you give him a budget, and then sit back. You got time. Let him give you options that you would not find on your own. And no, you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email, jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel 
on the podcast. Podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for ur- urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662-767-4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed, and walk-ins are Welcome. So we're gonna to go to Royce Young now on the show again. If you're on the live stream, that will uh, that will end it for the day. We appreciate you guys hanging out. We'll be back obviously uh, tomorrow. We'll let you know times when we know it. Um, we'll figure that out amongst ourselves and then uh, and get with you. So appreciate McKenzie again. Listen to the podcast. Good stuff with Royce coming up. So if you're in the stream, you don't want to miss that. So click uh, wherever you listen to uh, to your podcast out here in uh, in a little bit. So appreciate it. And now here's Royce Young on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Royce Young of ESPN, kind enough to spend some time with us. Royce, I'm a big fan of your work. I've, I've uh, followed your stuff for a long time, as I think you know. Uh, I'll tell you this. My son is 13. He's a uh, he's a huge NBA fan, and uh, your uh, podcast with uh, uh, John Hamm and Andrew Schlecht and those guys is his favorite, and, and a lot of it is because he's a Thunder fan, but a lot of it is also because of uh, your catch-up scale. He's a big fan. <laughs> He's a big fan of the ketchup scale. Uh, years ago, when you guys first un- undid the ketchup scale, we turned on a Thunder podcast. I, I guess it was Schleck's Down to Dunk podcast because he he said, "No, Dad, that's not the one I want to listen to. I want to listen to the ketchup scale one." And uh, even though it was thirty some odd minutes into the podcast before you guys went to the ketchup scale, it was completely worth it for him. He's like, "Yes, we've arrived at ketchup scale." Oh time. man! Well, tell him thank you very much for listening and. Uh, enjoying my bizarre ketchuping habits <laughs> but uh, uh that's very it's very kind of uh, you guys to to care about the type of stuff that we uh, reproduce so we, i definitely appreciate it so i know you've told this story probably a thousand times you'll probably tell it a thousand more times if not more um it was funny. I, I, I cover Ole Miss as a, as a beat writer, and I was headed up the night before the Jazz Thunder game in Oklahoma City. I was headed up to Nashville for the SEC tournament, and really the only reason I was going, uh, I was covering a team that was going nowhere. They weren't going to the NIT or the NCAA or anything like that, and, and that was the one night of the season that we were guaranteed locker room access and you know you had to go up there were some guys on the team that were probably going to transfer out and stuff like that and it's like this is my last chance to talk to them and I was about three quarters of the way to Nashville from Oxford it's about a four-hour drive and it got announced that nope you know because of the coronavirus and stuff they're going to close the locker rooms and something told me just to turn around and come home and I did turned around came back the next night I turned on uh, Ole Miss in Georgia in the SEC tournament uh, they got to halftime, and uh, Georgia had the game pretty much in command. You know how this is when you're working on season-ending stuff. A lot of it's already pre-written. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'm going to turn to the Thunder Jazz game. So I said, you know, for a number of reasons, I was interested in it. Number one, it's, it was going to be a good game. It was two teams that were right there in the in the standings together. And, and I remember thinking, because I think, Royce, maybe it was the Warriors, the Clippers, somebody out west had announced, yeah, we're closing to fans. Um, yeah. And, and I thought this might be one of the last handful of games, at least for a little while, where uh, where fans are, are going to be present. And uh, literally, as I, I turned to the game on the on the package, right as the two teams were getting ready to tip, and I saw this activity, and the world stopped. And I ended up, you know, you were there, and I remember thinking as the night progressed, I'm like, you know, Royce Young's covered a lot of stuff. He's been 
on Kevin Durant watch all these years and on Russell Westbrook watch all these years, he probably never thought he would, you know, who knows what happens with the rest of your career. But right now you're probably thought of as the guy that, that covered the coronavirus becoming mainstream in sports that night with Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's, I would think that's how most people would, would recognize you at this point. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm the uh, coronavirus guy, apparently, but, uh, um, it's a weird distinction, but I do think you're kind of right about it. I heard from a lot of people in the days following all of that that kind of were, were saying, like, you're the face of the coronavirus. And I was like, I don't know if that, I don't know if you mean what you think you mean when you say that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, going to the arena that night, you know, kind of the same as you, Neil, I was kind of uh, w- weirdly aware of the situation that this might be the last game I'm at with fans in the building. And so I was kind of hyper attentive to a lot of the scenery going around around with the game and fans interacting, a lot of things like that. Um, and, and there was kind of some bizarre stuff going on pregame with Rudy Gobert and his availability for the game. And, and so, um, you know, it was kind of, there was kind of this contextual element I felt like to the game itself. Cause a lot of people kind of like, man, that came out of nowhere. Didn't it like that? That's so crazy. And yes, it did. Obviously the way it escalated kind of came out of nowhere. But I think when you rewind the clock and think back to our mindsets going into that game, one, we were very naive, clearly everyone. Yeah. Um, but two, I, I think that there was kind of this context that it was, there was this slow build to kind of what was coming because the next step was like, I think it was a Warriors game was going to be closed to the public and there was going to be no fans. So like that was kind of the next step that was coming down the line and everybody was aware of that. Uh, but the moment that it all changed and the Thunder's head uh, doctor comes running out on the court and, and it was kind of obvious to me at that moment that like, this is that something is going down right here. Did and, you pretty much know right uh, then that's what it was? I mean, I, I think common sense kind of told you that, um, you know, I, I know who Donnie Strack is. I know Donnie yeah. pretty well. And um, for him to run out on the court and call the three officials over, I knew it, I, it had to be something related to the virus. I, I just, and, you know, I'll, I'll confess my, my initial, um, my initial thinking was, again, very naive, but I, I did look over at the Thunder, one of the Thunder's PR guys, John Reed, and I told him, I was like, I knew it. This has something to do with Gobert. And what I thought, had happened is there was, if you kind of remember, Neil, there was that viral clip of uh, Rudy Gobert touching all the reporters, recorders, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I had this kind of like, okay, I think what's happening here is that Gobert had exposed himself, right? Because they had set these new guidelines to keep players and the media separated from each other. And I thought Gobert had kind of, quote unquote, contaminated himself. So they wanted him tested. They didn't. And I was like kind of building it out like, okay, this is what I think is probably going on. Um, and they and they didn't want to start the game until they could confirm whether or not Rudy Gobert was officially clear since he had kind of, quote unquote, contaminated himself. I had no expectation that he actually had the virus. So that, that I, I thought it had something to do with Gobert, something to do with his illness. I've covered the NBA long enough to know that when a player is listed out as ill or something else, it could be, it may not be true at all. <laughs> like, I know that to be the case. Um, so when it came down that he actually was positive for the virus, that completely stunned me. I mean, I knew it had something to do with Rudy Gobert. I knew that this had something to do with the coronavirus. I didn't expect him to actually have the virus. So in those immediate moments, I know you, you, you go from, hey, I'm getting ready to cover a basketball game, even though that was going to be a weird, it, no matter what happened in that particular game, the story mm-hmm. after the game was going to be virus-related and crowd-related. So I'm sure you were kind of thinking along those lines, but I mean, it's like immediate, all right, this is this 
Because I remember watching that, and I, I almost forgot to go back to the end of the Ole Miss-Georgia game because I was just transfixed to, oh, my God, this story just completely blew up. Everything I was planning to write about the Ole Miss-Georgia is, is completely immaterial now. It's nothing – I remember thinking this season's over, the college season's over. Right. The, the, you know, I just instantly sort of knew it. And um, you were on TV immediately. I, I kind of know the story. I'll let you tell it. I know that there was kind of a little – good fortune with with you mm -hmm. and the network that sort of made it where there was a production crew there for you but i mean how quickly are you thinking how quick are you being told are you thinking hey this is i'm, I'm on this story this is i've got to be all over this i'm going to be here for for hours tonight yeah um so, you know obviously i'm taking it in kind of watching the the officials meet the coaches meet players confused as to what's going on and like you know as you know you yourself understand as a reporter you're like you know eyes and ears everything you're trying to take it all in scribble down notes and you know i'm trying to kind of tweet out in real time maybe what's what's going on um at the same time i you know i, I was i kind of also realized that like this is gonna this is this is about to head into like huge story territory like um you know an nba game getting postponed or delayed or even canceled. i mean that's an automatic news story for espn right so like i know i'm gonna have to be writing a news story yeah. regardless of what's going on even if it's like a fire alarm went off and they needed to delay the game like that's gonna that's gonna be just a news story so i'm starting to think like okay i gotta do that and then um, basically as soon as they sent the players to the locker room, I got a call from the producer that I had that night, Pat Abrahams. And he was like, Hey, they want you on TV ASAP, like come find me. And so I was like, so it was like, it was kind of this rush of like adrenaline where like everybody's standing around confused and like I pop up and, uh, you know, I start trying to kind of shuffle my way out. And I actually, I remember Nick Gallo, who's the Thunder's, um, uh, like a sideline reporter for the official broadcast, like looked at me and he was like, good luck. <laughs> Cause he like knew where I, he knew where I was going. Like he knew where I was like, oh, here it goes. And, um, so, uh, like it was, but like you said, it was good fortune that, it, that we were set up to be able to cover it that night. And the kind of inside baseball story to, of it is, is that initially we have like this kind of traveling setup where I can kind of be my own cameraman. We use an iPhone, connect to a satellite. Um, and I, I can do live shots by myself, essentially. They're a little lower quality. So we kind of prefer to not do them, but when we need to, um, we can do that. So I was going to do a live shot from that game pregame on the sports center with Stephen A. Smith. And, they kind of that that was the plan me to do it with my my own setup and uh we had a crew at the university of oklahoma's pro day that day and they said hey we're just going to send that crew over after they finish at pro day they said they're cool with it they're just going to come over and uh and do your your pregame live shot for you so you don't have to worry about bringing all the equipment and i was like oh that's great like that's good news for me and um so it was just completely good fortune that they were there at all because if it if they had not been there espn's coverage would have looked completely different that night in terms of us you know on the ground on the scene reporting from the hallway i mean it would have been up to me with my own individual setup and that and just logistically that wouldn't have been as possible to kind of get the coverage that we got from a reporting standpoint i'm just fascinated by it i mean i watched it as a as a person as a, a, a fan an observer whatever the term is and, and and the coverage was great there was a part of me that really wondered Man, what is it really like? And I see what what he's saying on the set. I know, you know, they. I think the Pelicans game. They went to a lot of the Pelicans game, and it became a, a big topic there. Mm -hmm. And then later that night, if I'm correct, there was a game in Sacramento that got weird, and 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 yeah. it, it was a crazy night. But I, I remember kind of wondering what is it like in the kind of the the bowels, if you will, of, of Chesapeake, because I thought it's bound to be absolutely crazy there. 
Right. And, you know, what was weird is that, you know, the arena, you know, they, they end up canceling the game or, you know, postponing the game at the time and everybody leaves the arena and we're still there. You know, obviously reporters are still there. And I, and my producer Pat comes up to me when, after Gobert had uh, been announced that, you know, there was a player positive for the virus. He comes up to me and he was like, Hey, um, you know, Bristol, I just talked to some folks in Bristol and I just want to make sure are you comfortable being here? You know, like if, if you're not like you can head out and you know, nobody, and I like, I, he just immediately, as he was like telling me, he saw the look on my face and I was like, uh, heck no, man. Like we're here tonight. Like we're not leaving until the jazz leave this building. Like, and we don't know when that's going to be. And so, you know, he gave me like a, he gave me a fist bump. It was like, all right, this is on. Here we go. Um, because like we both understood this was a mega story and, and not just like selfishly for ourselves, but like for everybody needed to, you know, we were like, you know, boots on the ground. We got to, yeah. we got to cover this thing. It was and probably it was even bigger than you thought it was. I mean, and you were, you were sitting oh, there thinking this is the biggest story of my career and, and, and it was, and it was probably even bigger than what you were thinking at the time. Yeah, it was way bigger than, I mean, I, and that's what a lot of people were kind of asking me about, like, you know, what was your mindset? And I was like, I was just trying to gather info. And, um, like you said, I mean, once the arena cleared out, it was actually kind of quiet in the arena. There wasn't a lot of people there and you'd kind of go back and forth between the floor. They didn't really want us lingering too much in the hallway as much as possible. Um, but you know, we were we're basically just kind of spying on, on the situation, like what's going on back there. Uh, you're, you're kind of, uh, talking to people that are still in the arena, texting, calling, trying to gather some info. Uh, again, shout out to Pat Abrahams. He was super awesome at, at kind of helping me collect info, just little, you know, little details that you were picking up about that. You know, we found out that the jazz players were sitting in their locker room with surgical masks on and blue rubber gloves. And like, you know, just even those little anecdotal details that yeah. you can then take and share on TV that takes people kind of like understanding the situation. Like, you know, he, Pat was huge in helping me like, you know, having having a second set of eyes and ears to kind of collect that stuff was huge. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that it was, it was kind of, it was chaos running back between the kind of the areas and, you know, making sure you're not missing everything, but it was also very quiet and very calm. If that makes sense, you know, like, cause there was nobody in an arena. I'm used to an arena being loud, and noisy and fans cheering and action on the court. And then the other crazy thing is like, you know, it felt like, man, we're like knee deep into this. And like, this is, we've been here a minute now covering this and we're already getting a little tired. And it's only like 1030. And like at that point during a normal game night, I'm just probably getting clear of the locker rooms at 10. Maybe I might not even be in the locker rooms at 1030. So like the night was still young in terms of what I was accustomed to in terms of like reporting a night. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, I knew I was in for a long night especially when uh, when they told us that there was a chance that the Jazz were going to be sleeping at the arena that night. I was like, oh boy, I guess I am too. <laughs> so, so I was prepared for that. One of the things that I heard that was most interesting was the whole negotiation about how they would get the Jazz back to Salt Lake City because if they, mm-hmm. if they couldn't test them all, either this, I guess the Utah Department of Health or whatever uh, you know, would, would have to sign off on it or they would have had to be quarantined in Oklahoma City for 14 days. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, like, I, you know, it's it's a controversial topic still about, like, nationwide testing and how health departments are handling it. And the Jazz were kind of at the forefront of this because they got 58 virus tests for them and their traveling party. And that was uh, basically 60% of the daily supply at the time for the state of Oklahoma. So, obviously, some people had an issue with that. and um, But logistically speaking, like, that's what the Oklahoma State Health 
officials were looking at is saying, okay, we've got to figure out accommodations to, to put up this 58 person traveling party in Oklahoma city for 14 days. Right? Like that's, that's one thing that we're going to have to do if we can't clear them of the virus and, and logistically send them back because look, they wanted to get them back to, to Utah and, and, and the jazz wanted to get back to Utah. So sure. they needed kind of a justification to be able to come up with a way to do that. So, um, you know, some of that was, you know, on top of it, within that, the context of that night, like the jazz were supposed to check out of their hotels that night. They were staying at the 21 C hotel, which is where a lot of NBA teams stay. And, you know, they go to the game and they check out of their hotel because they're going to like, if everything goes according to plan, they're just going to fly back to, to Salt Lake after the game. Um, so they didn't have rooms. And so it was like, okay, Hey, they got to find rooms in Oklahoma city, which isn't the hardest thing in the world, but you got to find it for a big group of people um, that can accommodate an NBA team. And then, Oh, by the way, uh, this team just all got tested for COVID-19. So who wants us? (laughs) (laughs) um, So that was going to be difficult too. So there was a lot of little things that were Everybody was trying to kind of figure out on the fly. And and I think in, you know, in hindsight, people can be judgmental and critical of however it was handled. But I think back to just even that night and in the context of it, and again, how naive everybody was going into the game and so much information has been learned in retrospect. I, I, you know, I I feel like we all got to give both the jazz, the NBA, the state health officials, everybody's got to get a little grace because it was, it was a tough situation that everybody was adjusting to on the fly. Take a break in our talk with Royce to tell you about in-house interior and design. 662-681-6241 is the phone number. You can text, you can call, you can talk about things that uh, you need done whenever the time comes to uh, get back to normal. You're in your house a lot right now, so you probably will see things that you would like to improve on. They uh, they do big projects with full contractor crews available. They do small things. They offer great discounts for dorm rooms, for new clients, and more. So with Nikki and Ashley, give them a call, give them a text, and talk about what they can do for you. Again, 662 662- 681-6241. Podcast also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with a personal touch. When you call OUB, you speak directly with the live person. There's no 10 buttons to push, no five minutes to wait. They have the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa. And with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also offer online bill pay, mobile check deposit using their online app. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com, call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. We're also brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group. They're dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized uniquely to fit each client. 901-365-3447 or email ben, that's B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. My mailbag is up on rebelgrove.com. It's brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. 
Whitney sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes, and you can reach her at 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. So, Royce, you go from covering that story to covering the story that we're now all covering, those of us who cover sports for a living, and the fans the fans are furious at us, and I understand why to a degree, because we all, when we talk to each other, like, when do you think it's going to come back? I mean, when, when is, right. you know, I mean, the conversation in, in football, I'm sure it's there and in, in around, you're not too terribly far from Norman. I'm sure the conversation there is, mm-hmm. is, is there going to be a season? Are they going to, are they going to be, are the players going to be able to report for anything resembling fall camp? Are they going to have an off season program? I mean, that is the story that everyone's doing. And you're in a, you're covering the NBA, which is, doesn't have the benefit that the, uh, that football has. They don't have as much time what what are you hearing what is kind of your feeling about what happens to the rest of this nba season because there's a lot to it i mean if they if they can't get to 70 games the the salary cap goes down i mean there's a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. here beyond just naming a champion right and i mean it's you know i think adam silver honestly said it pretty well either yesterday or the day before of like he, he doesn't know because just nationally and globally nobody knows exactly the direction of this virus so how could an nba commissioner make a prediction on when the league might return. Now they are trying to kind of um, put plans in place and a process in place to try to get a return to play. I think the one thing that you can guarantee, Neil, is that however the NBA comes back, it's not going to be normal. It's not, you know, game one back is not going to be with 18,000 people in an arena and, Oh, here we go. Ball's going up and everything's just totally normal. It's just not going to look that way because in order for it to look that way, you've got to just scrap this season. Like, there's just no chance of getting back yeah. and playing this season that way. Next season, I think it'll look like that. I think everybody will get back to some level of normalcy. But um, for this year, you know, that there's the, the league does feel like they have a little bit of runway that they can they can push this back into even September. I think Woj even might have said it on Sports Center this morning that um, you know getting an NBA champion crowned by Labor Day would be something the league thinks is realistic. But uh, it's you know, that, that just can't happen until there are some processes in place. And, and, and a big step with that is nationwide testing. I mean, the testing has to improve. It has to be readily available to the everyday citizen, and cities have to be able to uh, test, uh, you know, ha- uh, handle the, the quantity of testing that they need to handle because you can't just turn over these rapid test kits, kits to the NBA or MLB or whoever while the general public is still desperately in need of them. So, and the leagues recognize that they're sensitive to that. So until that happens, then you can, then you can start looking at, okay, playing at a neutral site, Las Las Vegas and quarantining all the teams and trying to play everybody out that way. Then you can start looking at those things, but it's just not realistic at this point. But I will say this between now and, you know, whether it's July, mid July, where they would need to restart the season, there's still a lot of time between now and then. I mean, it's, it's only been, hasn't even been officially a month since Rudy Gobert tested positive and a lot has happened and it's felt like forever. (laughs) So imagine how people are going to feel in mid May and June and even July, because that's the runway the league does have before they would have to completely scrap the thing. So there is a lot of time to still kind of sort things out. And, and I think we'll have a little better picture of what these professional leagues are going to, what, what they might be thinking by, you know, April 30th, which is, I, I believe, when the kind of the, the, the shelter-in-place, quarantine, large gatherings thing kind of expires at that point. I will say this, I th- and I think you agree with me based on some things I've heard you say. If, if I mean, this is, there's, no, there's no silver lining to COVID-19, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to right. say that. But if, if the NBA was able to finish its season in, in, by Labor Day, 
that would mean they wouldn't probably start until Christmas time ish. Right. To me, that makes so much more sense in the current mm-hmm. sports landscape to play a, I don't know, December 15 through August 1st season, as opposed to what they do now where they kind of start in October, where really the first two months of the season, except for basketball junkies, nobody really pays attention. Right. Yeah, I think that, I mean, like you said, there's no real silver linings here, but if we're, if we're looking in kind of like the, uh, like a you know a, a parallel path where where you are trying to find some positives, I think it definitely would be a positive for the NBA. I've always been an advocate for the NBA restructuring their calendar because um, I you know the, the three main sports in America is basketball, baseball, and football, right? And we all we all recognize that. And if you put the basketball calendar December to August, then basketball kind of fits more um, squarely in with those other two sports. Each sport kind of has their official season and there's less overlap between the three of them. I think that's better for the NBA as a whole uh, to, to sort of uh, overlap less with football, um, overlap more with baseball, because like, especially demographically, like the, 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 the baseball demographics suggest that an older audience watches versus a younger audience for, for base for basketball. So like, I think that that kind of makes sense for those two sports to kind of um, sustain themselves a little bit better. So, I'm a huge. I've always been a, a fan of of redoing the NBA calendar. It's not as good for me. I will say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, the off season being August September is better for me than the off season maybe being uh, September October or November. Um, but I mean, I, I I definitely think that that could be something that the league would look at. And so, kind of to extrapolate that, like they're going to have two options because it, next the following. 2020 20, uh, 21 season is going to have to start in December at the earliest, right? If they do complete this year. Um, so they can either shorten the season, do 66 games, 70 games, or condense it, do back to back to backs to try to get all 82 games in and stay on schedule with an NBA finals in June, or you're going to have to push it back and, and redo the season as December to August or something like that. So they really kind of have those two options and it'll be up to the league to decide what they want to do. What would a lost season mean? I mean, it would, um, I don't want to say devastating because I mean, the league can recover from it, but it, it obviously revenues would, would uh, be significantly altered. Um, and, you know, historically speaking, it would just be something that, that people would, um, you know, have to, to kind of get over. And, but again, I, I, I think that we, we are all a little sensitive to, that idea that like, Oh no, like is, is, is the NBA as a whole over if you lose a season? No, it's not. I mean, like they can, it can recover and it'd be just a huge bummer for everybody. It'd be a huge bummer. I think specifically about the teams that, um, you know, have been put in a position uh, to compete this year. I think, you know, my heart would break for the Milwaukee Bucks, who have one of the best teams that we've seen in a long time. Uh, they're historically dominant right now, and the clock is ticking for them with Giannis and Tentacumpo. Maybe, like you mentioned earlier, Neil, maybe it's my Kevin Durant sensibilities, but yeah. I think about this small market with this superstar player that has a real chance to win a title this year, and they may not get it. Well, I think about even, I mean, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for the Lakers, but you know, with, with a franchise that's had as much successes they've had but like i think about lebron james i mean he's a rejuvenated player and he's playing unbelievable basketball in year 18 of his career and he's got a chance to win a championship in los angeles and oh by the way it's uh with the tragedy of kobe bryant and the way that he could boost that community and that city and that franchise that would be an amazing story and to to 
not have the opportunity to do that, that would stink. Like that would just stink for everybody. So, um, you know, I think about it in terms of just the huge bummer that would, would be, but I think the league itself would recover. You know, there would be lost revenue that people would have to readjust and the salary cap would change and it, and all those types of things would, there would be fallout from that, but it's not like basketball would dissolve based on, on a lost season or anything. I don't know if you've thought about this. I'm, I'm guessing you probably have. I, I watched in, in the last few weeks because there's nothing else to watch. Um, I mean, besides Tiger King, and after a while, you just have to move on from from Joe Exotic. But uh, shout out Winniewood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's right there. Um, I know. Yeah. Um, you know, I was watching like some old NBA games. It was uh, the Lakers Pistons final when uh, Isaiah Thomas rolled his ankle. It was uh, mm-hmm. the the some of that stuff the year later when the the Pistons won off the Lakers it doesn't really matter who was playing the point was I kept noticing and I would have never noticed before Rudy Gobert night I kept noticing how often somebody would lick their hand at the free throw line oh yeah um play with their mouthpiece uh and then and then immediately you know take the ball from the official pass bring it up you know basketball where the ball's moving all over the place and people are touching a ball that is contaminated. I would have never thought of mm-hmm. the ball as contaminated. That you can't really change a lot of that in basketball. And then all of the high fives and warm ups, and every time someone makes a bucket on the other end, there's a high five or the, and, and and sweat passing. Are we ever going to watch? How long will it take for us to watch sports the same way? How long will it take for sports to be played the same way? Or will they? Yeah, I mean that's a good question and. Um, you know, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, again, rewinding back to just my mindset going into the arena, March 11th against the Thunder Jazz game. Uh, I was thinking about exactly that. I was thinking about like, okay, so they're going to keep fans out because they're worried that fans are going to contaminate each other. But like, what about these basketballs? And I like, I, I was actually thinking of like trying to, cause I was not anticipating the league stopping at that point. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do a story about like following a basketball and like, how can they, how can they legitimately sterilize and decontaminate a basketball for everybody to play with? Because like you said, it's the thing that everybody's going to touch. Everybody's going to touch the basketball. And so players bite their nails players, you know, like you said, they, they mess with their mouth guards. So like, you know, in that regard, like that was just not logistically possible. So, uh, you know, I was, I was really hyper aware going into that game and, as you mentioned, it's going to be something that it's going to be hard not to kind of think about as you watch sports going forward. And I think at some point we're going to get kind of used to like sports becoming sports again. But for that first, like probably two or three weeks, we're going to be like, Oh boy. Like it, it looked like that pitcher like spit on his hand, right? You know, wipe, did he wipe it off enough? Did somebody <laughs> run out? Jarell? Like, you know, like guys spit on his hand, like, you know, put pine tar in his bat. Like, uh Oh, like who's touching that bat? The umpire touched it. Quarantine the umpire. I mean, that's how we're going to feel about it. I know. I, I was watching. I'm so hyper aware of these situations. I was watching a Twins Tigers game in the Metrodome. I mean, I was bored, and the pitcher for the Twins, I think his last name was Baker. I can't remember, but dude went to his mouth every every two pitches, and so he takes the yeah. ball, he throws to the catcher, the catcher, you know, throws it back to him, or gets hit to the shortstop, and the umpires guy just. I, I was like, man, I I, I don't want to be this way, and I thought. You know, I primarily cover football, and you know, you see all the the pileups in football. A guy, you know, there's three or four bodies on top of one another, and they have to un. You know, you 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 you're a Sooner fan, right. I think. You know, guys get up, move around, and quarterbacks go to their mouth a lot. You know, between plays mm-hmm. for a grip, and you just the stuff that you notice that you would have never really noticed before, and frankly, it's the things that 
as much as we're going to hate it, we have to sort of write about those things when sports get started again. Do, do you just go back to that? Do you just trust that that that's all yeah. it's all good, or or do, are there behavior changes that have to happen? I mean, like you know, I was watching. Uh, Drew Brees the other night. Drew Brees goes to his mouth literally before every play. Yeah. How do you how do you ask a forty year old who spent more than half of his life as a as a quarterback, probably doing that since he was a high schooler? How do you get him to not do that anymore? Well, and as you know, professional athletes are a little bit uh, crazy, or just athletes in general, and they like their routines, and they you know so like they in some ways they feel like they're successful because of their routine and, yeah. and they're, and they, you know, they, um, that's kind of what keeps them centered and focused. And so if you're asking a guy to like change up his free throw routine or something, he's like, that might, that might mess me up for life. Like, yeah. Russell Westbrook. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. He, he had it messed with and he became a, he became Shaq at the free throw line for crying out loud. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that, that you're going to have to ask players about and that they're, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know how some of them are going to feel going into games. I, I even think about it just in the simple context of the locker room environment. You know, I see a lot of NBA players, and they share cologne, they share deodorant, they share lotion, and you know, they just, you know, they're they're good friends, and they just kind of like live together basically. Because when you're on a on a team that plays 82 games in a season, you become very close and very uh, comfy with a lot of guys um, on the roster. So. Like, are they going to change those type of habits? And, you know, they, I'm sure they eat after each other. I'm sure they share, you know, take a drink of this drink or, like, you know, whatever. And, you know, I wonder how long it will be until they feel comfortable, especially if they come back in this kind of quarantined environment where they're trying to play games in a bubble and make sure uh, that nobody uh, is exposed to the virus. Because if, if that's the case, then they're going to have to change behaviors, I would think. And, and again, how does that impact the game on the floor? How does that impact – uh, the the mindset of the players. I think that that's all very very relevant stuff. I know you cover a lot of teams. You 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 cover a lot of the Western Conference teams in particular. So you've seen a lot of the teams, but you you mostly see the Thunder because you're there in Oklahoma City. How mm-hmm. how good was this team? How good did uh, uh, you know? I'm talking about them in the past tense. How far could they have gone in a traditional playoff setting? I, I think they were a really good team, and you know you you don't. First of all, the record ended up looking good 40 and 24. I mean, you're not, you're not there unless you're legitimately good. Um, but then the record since basically late November was, uh, I think second best in the West behind the Lakers, um, third best overall in the league behind the bucks and Lakers. And that, and you don't do that by accident. I mean, you don't do that as a fluke. And, uh, so this team had, had clearly found an identity. Uh, they had clearly found uh, leadership in the locker room behind Chris Paul. And so like this team was legitimately good. Now, how good were they? I don't think they were good enough to get past the second round. I think that they were absolutely going to be competitive in a first-round series, assuming they didn't play the Lakers or Clippers in the first round. Um, and I, I think that I think that they could have beat any of the teams that they would have matched up with, whether, whether it was the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Rockets. Uh, I think the Thunder would have played any of those teams extremely well and had a chance to win in a series. Now, in a second-round series against the Lakers or Clippers, I think, I th- I think the overall talent uh, gap would have ended up playing a factor and i think the fact that the thunder in some critical spots were a little bit youthful would have ended up playing a factor and i just don't think that they could have kept up with the horses that, that the lakers and the clippers had but um i still think they could have probably made it a six game series against the clippers and the lakers but I, I think the ceiling of this thunder team was probably 
uh, a second round. And so, you know, I think just kind of larger picture, I think it's a, it's a reasonable question for Thunder fans to kind of ask themselves is like as much of a bummer as it is to not to get to see what this team might've done, assuming the season doesn't restart. I don't know if it will, but like, you can also kind of go out thinking like, now this team was a ton of fun and they get to kind of have the what if, and there's no disappointment at the end. You know, it was, it was all high note for this Thunder team. And I think in retrospect, that might feel a little better than watching that, you know, that first round series where maybe they don't play very well against the Jazz or whoever, and they end up losing in six games, and you're like, I knew it. I knew they should have traded Gallinari at the trade deadline. I knew that they didn't want it. So maybe end up feeling a little better about this team if it does if they don't come back and play. When the offseason rolls around, Presti breaks this group up. As, as I, I think that's what you think. Is that right? I, I think that's, that's more than likely, but at the same point, I, I think that Chris Paul's contract is kind of going to be kind of the guiding light for them um you know he's got two years left on his deal and as long as he's in oklahoma city i don't think that they're really going to be uh rebuilding or tanking i just don't think that that, that's really possible one i think chris paul's still too good to do it and and two i think his mindset is is such that it would be hard to have a have a, a a team that's that's not trying to win with with chris paul on it so uh, you know, if, if Presti can find a, a trade partner for Chris Paul, I think that they will immediately push the eject button on being competitive, and I think that they will embrace a rebuild philosophy. But uh, until they trade Chris Paul, I, I think that they, they will probably stay a, a reasonably competitive team. Now, I mean, I, I think there will be some kind of some restructuring. You know, Danilo Gallinari is an unrestricted free agent. Dennis Schroeder is going to have a year left. Uh, I think Steven Adams has a, a year left. So kind of similar to this season, I think, you know, the, the phone line is open for Sam Presti. And if you want to call him up and, and offer a first-round pick for Dennis Schroeder, he's going to listen to you. So uh, I think that, that that will probably kind of remain the, the, the case for, for the next offseason. So last thing we ask this pretty much of everybody, I know you and your wife have a, a young family there. How is, uh, how's quarantine life? It's pretty boring. <laughs> boring. You know, I, uh, my wife, Carrie, and I, we were talking yesterday about, like, man, why couldn't this have happened when we had, like, just gotten married? <laughs> three children, because, like, that would have been pretty good. Like, just me and her, like, chilling out. I mean, we would have gotten pretty bored, I'm sure. But, like, it, it gets a little monotonous trying to entertain two uh, two little boys under the age of six. <laughs> you know, so, like, uh, that, it's like all these people keep talking about how much free time they have. And it's like, I got the same time, I guess, but a lot of it's spent building and rebuilding and then rebuilding Legos all day. So, you know, or, or, or pretending to be something in the backyard and, and getting bossed around by a five-year-old so it's uh it's not quite as an entertaining life for me but i will say that you know i, I work i'm sure you're the same way i work from home so i mean I've, I've figured out how to kind of manage time to start with yeah but um you know the, the big difference now is that i don't got anywhere to go normally i had a game to go to i didn't have any games to go to which which is a, a pretty big bummer yeah my day-to-day is essentially the same it's just there's more people around and and i don't <laughs> and then yeah there's nothing to it's it's someone. Someone said the other day, "They're like, what do you do?" And I was talking. And I said, "I'm a sports writer," and they just kind of looked at me funny. I'm like, "Yeah, there's no, there there are no sports, but yeah. people keep expecting." So I guess I'm just a writer. <laughs> so I guess I'm I'm just a something. Uh, I know Carson will want to know this. Any uh, any have you have you experimented with any new uh, foods with with your ketchup obsession since you've got free time well, on your hands? We have been eating at home quite a bit, and uh, <laughs> you know, in order to not in in order to not make every food boring, I I am uh, looking into new ways to maybe spice them up. <laughs> so I was actually commenting um, to Carrie yesterday. We had just burned through a bottle of ketchup, and I was like, "Man, we're flying through these bottles of ketchup here!" <laughs> like we are going to. 
we are not equipped for this. I, everybody else is making runs to uh, Walmart for toilet paper, and I'm making runs to Walmart for ketchup. So uh, I gotta, I gotta stay well stocked around here. But I, I don't know that I've uh, necessarily uncovered anything, anything that I didn't already know. I mean, 34 years of ketchup expertise. There's not a whole lot of new things left on the table at that point. Well, again, man, I really appreciate the time. I'm like I said, I'm a big fan of your work. I've always kind of wanted to talk to you, so I appreciate you. Uh, chiseling out some time for me and uh, best of luck to you and Carrie and your family during the quarantine. And hopefully uh, the NBA season gets back and those of us who love it, get to see whatever was going to happen at the end. Yeah. You bet, man. Thanks for having me on and uh, best to you and your family too. All right. Thanks Royce. Thanks to Royce for uh, giving Neil a ton of time yesterday. Hope you guys enjoyed it again. Uh, thanks to McKenzie as well. We'll be back on, uh, on Thursday with another show. So uh, appreciate them. Appreciate you. And we'll talk to you then.